Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl. We are literally like two chapters away now from finishing, plus an epilogue. Uh, there's 21 chapters in total. This is chapter 20. So yeah, here we go. Um, Ricky's about to die. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, well, let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> This one's actually a shorter chapter, but you're going to get chapter 21 and the epilogue together next week. So I'm keeping chapter 20 as just this short one. So quite excited. I really like the concept of um, Nihilathotep and the Crawling Chaos in the Lovecraftian mythos. I do not love the whole racist tropes and all of that crap that you do get with Lovecraft. But it also kind of made me laugh to kind of turn that into like a really middle class, step on me Thatcher, neoliberal douchebag, basically. Um, <laughs> just like this wannabe rock star guy who is about, I don't know, like, is he about as charismatic as a bag of mushrooms? I don't know. Like, he... He is charismatic, I think, on his own, but he just doesn't... Yeah, he, he's just not the kind of person that you would want to have these sorts of powers. Bless him. And so that's been really fun. And, and people ask about, like, his... You know, the fact that nobody can, can remember what he looks like. And it's been really interesting, actually, having people react to Wes and react to his powers and um, seeing a lot of parallels with their gender identity, gender dysphoria, um, all of that kind of stuff. And that's so cool because when I was writing him, I wasn't thinking about that so much. I was thinking about... Um, which is really weird because the parallels are so obvious to me now, but I was writing from the position of I literally don't know what I look like and I I can't I, I have body dysmorphia, like not dysphoria. So I don't know my own dimensions or the space I take up and I can't tell like it, it doesn't matter what dress size I am. I always think I'm like five dress sizes bigger or something and I never buy clothes to fit me because I can't without trying them on um because I literally don't I don't know what dress size I am like I know the number but I'll look at it and go oh that there's no way that's going to fit me because I literally don't know what I what I look like you know <laughs> so I used to spend a lot of time looking in mirrors and like every reflective surface because it was always a surprise <laughs> to see my own face and um everyone's like oh my god you're so vain and I am vain but also I just, I literally don't know what I look like. I don't always remember it. And I I often confuse people, my, like people with other people. Like my face blindness is also like, uh, extends to other people. And my brain just glitches a lot. So I just don't remember people and faces. I can't match them up. Um, so it's mainly that, to be honest. But also I just, yeah, I love the idea of this guy who's just this emotional black hole for people so that's yeah so that's just where it all comes from and I really explored that through Charlie's point of view in the short story Overexposure which is set before all of this it's like how Charlie meets him in the first place the audio vision to that is 
season two, I think. It's one of the bonus episodes in season two. And that's uh, up for free. It's one ninety nine to buy the ebook, and that's not available as a paperback version. But if I do, if I make it worth it, because it's only a very short story, um, I might chuck it in something else. But that uh, is included in the box set that you can grab from Kofi. So if you haven't got any, or you're, you're missing a few, twenty quid, and you can get literally every ebook that I've put out. Um, so that's all the novels, including the bonus Kofi exclusive novel, which is the AU version, that the one that's set in like a pseudo council estate. And it's kind of a queer platonic thing between Carrie and Ricky. I haven't changed any of the character names because it literally just follows the plot of the crows, except I've turned the character of the crows itself into a corporate goth called Raven, uh, <laughs> who's Ricky's ex and trans femme NB, like because gender stuff with the crows itself right yeah so I was just kind of playing with that to see if it worked and um and she they uh she's very kind of middle class much more middle class than Ricky is who's very working class and um he's like besotted with Raven and Raven's just like oh we we cannot we cannot be together (laughs) like but Raven is Carrie's best friend or becomes Carrie's best work friend and so like when she ditches Phil, Raven is the one that gives her the power to leave. And so there's all that kind of stuff going on and she ends up moving in with Raven and that's how she meets Raven's ex, <laughs> who is employed by Raven to um, fix up Raven's townhouse because he's like a, uh, he does restoration stuff. He does a lot of building stuff, general work. He's a handy, like he's self-employed basically, uh, has chronic ADHD and he's grown up on a council estate with um actual friends and so he's a very different man he's still into a load of dodgy shit and Wes is in it um and Wes is this gender non-conforming pansexual sleazy garage owner who's just described variously as like a supermarket value bond villain and like a charity shop freddie mercury So yeah, so that's quite cool. That's called Birds of a Feather and you can get that on its own or you can get that in the box set. If I do that properly, because that was just playing around kind of thing that I hyperfixated on last year and do it as a paperback, I'm going to redo it, you know, like think about it a bit more. It's up there for fun. It's just a Kofi exclusive and it's two quid on its own or it's included in, in the box set of literally everything. So you can grab that whenever you want to. Chapter 20 is This Revolting Graveyard, um, which is a quote from Niall Athotep by H.P. Lovecraft, which is one of the stories that um, inspired Wes as a character, along with the concept of the crawling chaos. I'm writing quite a number of posts on cmrosens.com that delves deeper into the mythos and mythology and the folklore. So if you've missed those, hop on over to my blog and you will see those there. Many thanks to Gemma Dyer for the theme tune for the podcast. Many thanks to Tom Brown for the illustrations in the novels. Content warnings. Well, I mean, I've just talked, well, yeah, just a lot of gore, basically, uh, for this one, because it's, we're, we're building up to it now. There's also some emesis in this chapter. Here we go. Chapter 20. This revolting graveyard. 17th to 18th of May. Wes didn't say a word in Theo's car. It was nearly midnight already. He tried not to think about his part in the abduction of his cousin, who had walked straight into the trap in the darkened field. He tried not to think about Ricky now, ointment greased and bound in the car boot. 
The remnants of the same grease lingered on his lips. In wiping it into his skin, Ricky had done his job for him, even better than Wes had anticipated. He tried not to think about the destruction of the family, about what the three of them had done. He couldn't face his surviving siblings now. They'd never forgive him for this. After the nightclub massacre, he didn't even know if they were all still alive. He didn't want to know. And once he'd done this, if Katie ever found out his part in it, even if she didn't eat him, he'd lose her too. But if he didn't go through with it, he'd be nothing for the rest of his life. If only Grandad could restore him fully, so be it. It was too late now to wrestle with himself. It would happen the way it happened. The only thing Wes regretted was the kiss, because he'd wanted Ricky not to fight. Now the moment of his visions was drawing near, he wasn't sure of anything any more. They got out at the warehouse and Wes stayed put until the remaining cultists had unloaded the soothsayer's shackled form. He hadn't been able to change and resist them, but they'd used the rest of the ointment on him anyway, just in case. Everything all right? he asked as they bundled Ricky off into a large warehouse through the heavy fire door. Theo nodded. Can't you open the portal for us? Not with this mojo wearing off, Wes said, sliding out and stretching. But he can. Theo nodded vigorously, eyes glazed. The dose was evidently still working, although Wes could feel it starting to fade. No more questions? Theo shook his head. Perfect, let's get this over with. Theo led the way into the belly of the warehouse, a graveyard of machinery lit by large LED torches throwing wide straight beams of light and zigzag paths across the floor. Ricky was dragged into the middle and chained to a chair, dripping mucus and ointment along the concrete. This was exactly how he'd seen it. It was weird, like stepping into a dream. Wes could feel his grip on his glory slipping. Tonight's dose, made with a smaller part of Ricky's glory, was wearing off. He wouldn't be able to tell the cult what to do when the true face in them was separating from him, taking on a life of its own. He could feel it now he was in close proximity with so many people who were inhabited by shards of himself. He swore under his breath as he counted them. There were a lot more than he'd thought. "'What good's the soothsayer to us?' Cousin Tally asked. Half her face had been clawed away in some nasty altercation, and she limped forwards with a toothy snarl. Wes decided he didn't want to know what his cult had been up to while unsupervised. Tally peered at Ricky, lifting his chin and dropping it. "'Why is he here?' "'He can open the portal,' Theo supplied. "'Look, I brought the faceless man, too, but he's weak.' "'We've no room for weakness,' Tally snapped, but then she saw Wes's face and stopped, mouth slackening into silence. "'Do you feel me?' Wes asked, stepping into the crossbeams of torchlight. "'Do you know who I am?' There was enough glory in him to drop them to their knees. The connection was still there, even though Wes didn't think they had much time. I need to enter the stone circle to regain my strength. You all know me. I live within you. You have a shrine, is that right? Theo pointed. Wes's heart skipped. It was hardly a shrine. They had scraped together some antique splinters. The heart was too fresh and too small. The rocks were smashed and fractured. But it was a shrine, and it might still work. Is that it? We did our best, someone said from their prostrate position at his feet. Wes sighed. And is this all of you? Theo nodded. Everyone. And you're all committed to this cause of yours, opening the portal, bringing chaos to the world, all that jazz. This was a terrible moment to fidget, but his trousers were chafing despite the talc on his legs. Standing in front of open flames for ages and then sitting down in the car had been an exceptionally bad combination, and he really needed to get them off. The sooner this was over, the sooner he could change, in more ways than one. All of us, Tally said, and this was echoed by the rest. This was it. A robed figure approached, a saw in his hand. 
It was the sore from the vision where Ricky had his neck broken first. Had they done something to get to this one? Had some steps led them here, some tiny moments, something big? Wes's head swam with the intricacies of a web he couldn't fathom. "'Told you I'd deliver him,' he said. "'Now open it and give me what I want.' Torchlight glinted off the saw in the man's hand, and Wes knew he couldn't stop this, even if he wanted to. It would play out the way he'd seen, whether he'd liked it or not. The foreman grabbed the escaping tendrils at the back of Ricky's head, yanking his head up. "'How does it feel to be a god?' Ricky grunted, chalky pale but conscious. "'Better than being you.' The foreman head-butted him, and Wes heard Ricky's nose crunch. The sound got him hard. He knew that was fucked up, but it was a sound he'd missed, and Ricky didn't react like he'd felt it. Blood oozed down his lips in rusty dribbles. "'Fucking useless piece of shit!' the foreman spat on him for good measure. "'When we ascend, there'll be no place for you. The true face speaks to us now, and so does our grandsire.' "'As long as they stay the fuck out of my head, they can tell you whatever they want,' Ricky muttered thickly. "'Saw lies.' "'Open the portal.' The foreman didn't let the tendrils go, and there wasn't much Ricky could do. "'And then what?' Ricky snarled. "'You really think there's a reward for you?' A cousin Wes didn't recognise spoke up from the shadows. "'The true face will reign supreme, filling us all with freedom.' This was it. Ricky eyeballed the foreman like a vicious dog. He struggled with his chains, but there was no chance of escape. He snorted, giving up, and closed his eyes. Fuck you. Wes gently pushed Theo behind him, not releasing his grip. The foreman changed, extra eyes bulging out of his face and neck, amphibious and egg-shaped, white as pustules. If he rejects the ascension and won't open it for us, I say we sacrifice him and open it ourselves. Last chance, soothsayer. What do you say? So let it be, Ricky said, not even looking at him. Wes appreciated the drama, even as the tension grew. The foreman's glory whipped out of his robes and wrapped around Ricky's neck. It squeezed and wrenched. Wes balled his hands into tight fists, flinching. Ricky's neck was crooked at an unnatural angle, and his whole body slumped. There was a long, horrible pause. Wes willed Ricky to breathe, willed him to have a plan, but nothing happened. Just tell me when the vision stops, Ricky had muttered, blindfolding Wes behind the bonfire and giving him to Uncle Ralph for the elder's head of the family blessing behind the sheep sheds. As soon as we get to the part where it cuts out and you don't remember anything after. Wes had thought Ricky came with him for the blessing, but Ricky had rejoined him from behind some farm machinery once the blindfold was off. Wes didn't see the point when Ricky clearly couldn't hear him, but he hoped something was going to happen. The foreman raised his hand sore and tilted the drooping chin up with blade, but no breath misted on the metal. He waited a while in silence, then let the head drop. Accept our sacrifice, enter our world, and give the true face its full power. He readied the sore at the base of Ricky's neck, below the fat, pale scar of his closed back lips. This was the moment Wes had seen in his vision, the exact second, and after that the future went dark, but it had been fulfilled. Wes found his voice. Now! Ricky opened his eyes and they were clear as glass, like windows reflecting a cloudy grey sky. Wes breathed out with acute relief. The perfectly shaped form of his cousin grinned with a mouth full of metal and broken glass. Before anyone could react, he burst the chains wrapped around his body and links flew across the room. The giggle was the soothsayers, but the dark aura around him was not. It repelled them with sizzling agony as the elders rushed him and Ricky threw one straight through the wall. 
"'Easy, boys,' he said in a rich feminine voice that definitely wasn't his. Tendrils whipped out, but they were copper wire flexing and crackling with electricity. Over the dust and asbestos fibres there was a distinct smell of warm stone and wood, cloves and a summer garden after rain. Ricky Porter grew in height, shifted dimensions, but kept the pipe coils. Tally rushed at him and fell back, yowling in agony and skin audibly sizzling before she got within three feet.' "'Nice try,' the soothsayer said in Carrie's voice. Wes had never heard or seen anything sexier in his life. Theo bolted for cover as the living dead thing in his cousin's shape picked up the last foreman, broke him in half with a wet, meaty crack, and hurled him at the shrine, demolishing it. Wes focused, drawing on the last of his strength and reaching deep into himself. He couldn't overpower the Avatar, the curse aura was too strong, and this was not the time to be on its bad side.' As he focused, his cultists didn't attempt to flee. He drew them closer, trying to keep them corralled in an invisible circular radius away from the exits. "'His face,' they whispered, and Wes grew drunk on their intoxicating adoration. "'His beautiful face!' All around him, family members were giving up the idea of escape, turning around and facing the thing that was not the soothsayer. Wes was aware of Theo staggering away, not sure what was happening. He tried to keep Theo separate, to make him watch, but he had no way of knowing if this was going to save him or not. I can see his face. The chant was picked up like a ripple. Those who had managed to get out of the open door when the foreman was torn in half came back. They returned in a dazed shuffle, like something out of a zombie film. Wes was the only one left standing as the entire gathering formed a semicircle around whatever was wearing the soothsayer's appearance and got on their knees. Theo was hiding away behind the hollowed-out carcass of a machine. The chant changed. We give ourselves to see his face, we give ourselves to see his face, we give ourselves... Blades of silver and steel flashed through the air in place of Cousin Ricky's tendrils. Wes choked on brick dust and bile, entranced and aching with want. It moved as if it had always had that body and was intimately acquainted with it, although muscles didn't bulge and flex when they should have done. The whole form was stuck in one shape as if carved that way. Wes couldn't stop staring, although his eyes stung and watered. He stood stock still as the carnage ensued around him, the coughing screams and thick thwacks of metal pipe on flesh echoing in his ears. He was reminded of a foam party in Ibiza, where the scything whirl of coloured lights dissected flailing limbs and slippery wet body parts. The worshippers, blind to everything but the images Wes placed in their heads, raved in ecstatic death throes. Everything was red. He could only see the fresh crimson spurts, the darker maroon jets, the showers of stomach contents and thick smell of shitty meat that came with it. Behind him, Theo gagged and retched and threw up. When it was over, he barely noticed. His ears went on ringing. He throbbed with raw lust. I don't suppose there is any chance, he trailed off as the avatar turned to arch an eyebrow at him, but rallied. Is that like a hard no or a hard maybe? Because I'm pretty fucking hard either way. The avatar curled its lips in a private smile and didn't answer. Wes grinned. Oh, all right. Not a no. I'll take that to the bank. I do feel you overcomplicated this just a bit, the avatar said, ignoring his lusty overtures. You could be a right cunt. You know that, don't you? Wes brushed this off. Well, we did it, right? We engineered it exactly how I saw it, and now he's going to be fine. But they had to believe it was real. The Avatar was somewhere between Ricky and Carrie now, and that was even hotter. It wouldn't matter whose name he shouted in the heat of it, and he licked his lips, taking it in. He checked his phone and spotted a text from Katie. What? The Avatar saw his grin. 
You had me, you pair of pricks, Wes read out. He bit his lower lip and cocked his head, hoping the Avatar thought this was something he and Ricky had thought of together. Clearly, Ricky hadn't disabused Katie of that notion yet. I knew it would work when she couldn't tell the difference, the Avatar said, sucking in the pipe tendrils completely. So that's that. Cultists all dead. We got your vision to work itself out, just like you saw it. And Ricky's still alive, unless Katie's killed him. I'll check, Wes said, poker-faced. He texted her back and she replied nearly immediately. She says, He snuck up on me in the field and I jumped out of my skin and nearly impaled him, but he's fine. Thank God for that. The Avatar looked around. Hey, is that when I missed? Wes spotted Theo cowering by the machinery. Oh, he's harmless. Leave him alone. Thinking he'll make me a lovely acolyte or something. The Avatar gave him a stern look. Wes raised his hands. What? He's also our ride home. You think of everything, don't you? Wes was dying to lie across the back seat of the car and finally get these damn trousers off. Most things. He snapped his fingers at Theo and the poor boy flinched. Come on, drive us back and I'll try and fix whatever it is I've done to you. Theo scuttled out of his hiding place and the Avatar sighed heavily. As long as this is over. Wes pulled a face. Home stretch. He shooed Theo out of the warehouse like a domesticated chicken and turned at the door to cast an eye over the carnage. I guess I should call the cleaners, if we've got any left. The Avatar slid by him, contorting its dimensions so they didn't touch as it passed him. The inch of space between them tingled with promise. Wes couldn't help inhaling its scent, the smell of a cared-for wood-beamed building with abattoir violence soaking into its grain, tainting the dancing dust motes. He ran his tongue over his teeth, grins spreading. So, how about dinner? The Avatar was settling back into a more Carrie-like figure, just squarer-shouldered and shorter, and the exasperated look she shot over her shoulder made him stifle a laugh. Her reply knocked the amusement out of him. How about you concentrate on sorting things out with the partners you already have? Wes winced at the gut punch. I don't think they'll want me back after this. I'm not... I'm not the man they wanted me to be. And honestly, I don't think I can go back to trying any more. Maybe not, but maybe they can deal with it if you let them. The Avatar picked its way across the potholes and weeds to Theo's car, unfazed by the darkness. Maybe, before you take anyone new out, you pick up the phone and talk to the people who've dedicated years to you already? I don't know, it might turn out that they know you better than you think. It turned and shrugged, opening the front passenger door. Just a thought. Wes forced himself to relax, realising he'd gone rigid. He shook this off, not looking forward to hearing their final goodbyes or final ultimatums, or the lies that would come tripping off his own tongue to keep them around. Calling the cleaners and dropping the coordinates of the warehouse-turned-revolting graveyard was his first priority, and after that, the last part of their frankly batshit plan, and after that, well, after that, he'd just have to see. He stripped his sodding trousers off before he got back in the car, and lounged in the back seat, not giving a shit about decorum, and grinning fit to split his cheeks up to his ears every time the avatar stared at him in the mirrors, then pretended it wasn't looking. <laughs>